Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 137. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, what's going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? It's your host, Eric Cacciatore. It's Thursday. You know what that means. It's Authority Thursday, and I have quite the authority here with us today, and I cannot wait to introduce him. So with excitement, allow me to introduce Jeremy Julian. Jeremy, are you feeling unstoppable today? I am. I'm excited for today, Eric. I am too. I cannot wait to get into it. So let me just give a quick introduction, then I'll pass it over to you. Uh, Jeremy literally grew up in the restaurant technology industry because his family founded Custom Business Solutions, Inc., which sells, services, supports, and develops technology for the hospitality industry. Today, Jeremy is the VP of Professional Services at CBS. On top of this, Jeremy has joined forces with Gary Stotko, and together they they host the Restaurant Technology Guys blog, where you can find an archive of technology webinars dating back to August 2013. And I was actually just corrected. There's a third person that helps out, and I want to make sure he gets credit too. Is uh, Ryan Williams is a part of that too. Don't worry, Ryan. I didn't forget you. And uh, Jeremy, this is just an aerial view of who you are and what you're all about. Uh, I'm going to pass it over to you now to get your story. But before we get that story, I want you to get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. So what do you have for us today? Got you. Well, and, and it's, it's a bit cliche, but, uh, but you know, we are in the hospitality business and, and go, I always go back to the customers always right. And that's kind of how we've, uh, how we've grown our business. You know, 99% of what we get is word of mouth in our industry and the restaurant people move around all the time. And so, uh, um, it's customers always right. And, and, uh, if the customer's wrong, refer to rule number one. The customer's always right. So, <laughs> I love it. And it's so funny because when you work in this industry, you get those moments where somebody has a like a far out request. Like I want like, – like basically they order something that's on a menu and they change it so much that it's, it's a, a whole new menu item. And people will just get angry. But that's what hospitality is all about is going out of your way, inconveniencing yourself. Uh, the, the, the more you can inconvenience yourself – for the convenience of others, the better job you're doing. And I think that's a great uh, way to kick off this podcast. Thanks for sharing that with us. So now I kind of want to get your story, Jeremy, because uh, this we want to know about you. Uh, one of the things that this podcast focuses on is the individual. It's not... Uh, you know what makes restaurants successful? The people in the industry behind those restaurants. You're not you don't own a restaurant, but you have some great experience and you're extremely successful. So I mean, tell us, give us your background. Got you. Well, I mean, through college, I did work in the restaurant industry. I waited tables starting at uh, 15 and a half because that was the earliest you could actually wait tables here in California where we live. And uh, so I, I worked my way through college um, serving, you know, waiting tables. And uh, um, as I came back, uh, came back home, it was uh, we were in need of some help at the office. Uh, as you talked about, my, my parents founded the business. And so uh, I would come back in because I knew the system. I was working at restaurants that had the system that we were supporting at the time. And uh, so I would come in and take phone calls in the afternoon after college classes in the morning. And uh, and so that's kind of where where my, my break in this industry started. But uh, um, that was kind of just the beginning, and that was 
almost uh, 19 years ago now. Now, is there a moment, Jeremy, where you can like re- reflect back to like a time where you made the decision or something happened to you or you just experienced something that made you say to yourself, this is more than just a job. This is my career. Yeah, I, um, I, going back to your, your comment about service, I, I really feel like I'm a servant to the people that, that work here, and, the, and I'm a servant to the people that, uh, that, we, that we work with in the restaurants. And so really, um, when I started um, get, having to hire in employees and, and work with them um, at, at our support center, that's really kind of where I figured out that, that serving the, the customers as well as serving the, uh, the employees that were here was really kind of kind of what I really enjoyed, and uh, I love doing it. Um, and it doesn't hurt that I get to get to talk to some really cool restaurant tours every day and get mm. to go out and have some great meals. I can totally resonate with what you're saying because I'm kind of dealing with the same thing with Restaurant Unstoppable. My my ambition in life is to be a successful restaurant professional. I'm not in the position now where I can dive in to be able to go full speed in my restaurant career, but this podcast is like my restaurant because like you say, like I get to serve people every day recording this advice, recording these stories, getting all these mentors on the show to serve us all. And it's a service. So I totally get it. And it's, it's a, it's a lot of fun and that's cool that you pointed that out. So uh, we got the big picture. We, we we're getting to know you a little bit and now we're motivated with your success quote. What are we here to talk about today? It's, it's time to, to get into the, the nitty gritty and it's, I'm going to give you guys a warning at home. It's not the most exciting content, but it's really important. And, uh, Jeremy, I'll let you take it from here to kind of give us an overview of what you have to share with us. Yeah, so um, when Eric and I were talking about uh, jumping on, the, on this meeting or the, the, for the podcast for the recording uh, today, it was, it was really kind of around credit card security and, and educating the listeners on what's going on with credit card security. For the last five, six, seven years, you guys have gotten beaten up with the whole PCI thing. But uh, really to educate you on the different ways that you can get taken to task, you know, with um, – with the Target breach and the Home Depot breach, it's, it's you know, at nameless others, it's put credit card security into the forefront of everybody's mind. And I think it's really important. And so that's, that's step number one that we really wanted to talk about. But then there's also this looming date of October 1st for the EMV um, mandate or, or not even mandate, but the liability shift is coming October 1st. And so around our industry and around the restaurant industry and anybody that takes a credit card in the United States, it's been huge. And so we don't go a day of the week without hearing from some customer or some vendor about what's going on with EMV and what are my next steps and what can we do. And so Eric asked if I could come on and educate uh, his listeners to, to what that might look like. Yeah, and I'm pumped you're here, and I should have mentioned this earlier. I mean, you guys, pay attention to Jeremy because this is what these guys do. They are the restaurant technology guys, and I'm so pumped to have you join uh, this cast of mentors, Jeremy, because I know you're really going to help us out and really help us clear up some of this, this muddy water that we're all all of us professionals in this industry are kind of uh, dealing with uh, in regards to the EMV. So what exactly is EMV? What does that stand for? Um. So it's uh, uh, Euro MasterPay EMV. What's the V? I don't. It's, it's what it is. It's a, it's a um, it's something that the credit card companies put into effect um, with the whole chip and the chip talking to the bank when you're taking your credit card. Today in North America, or I, I guess in the United States, almost all credit cards just have a magnetic card swipe on the back of them. Mm-hmm. And that technology is twenty some years old, and so the. As all of this fraud has been coming out, the, the likes of Visa, MasterCard, American Express, and Discover have come and said, you know what, we've got to stop 
the use of fraudulent cards within mm. within uh, the United States. And so they're starting to issue cards with the chip on them, which it's been a longstanding standard in all of Europe. So with that, that chip is going to talk to the banks real time and validate that the card numbers that are on there are truly Eric's card or Jeremy's card. Okay. Awesome. And uh, it, the EMV stands for, you got it, was a Europay MasterCard Visa is what I got down here in my notes. And that, that significance of October 1st, just to put emphasis on that, guys, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, but as far as my understanding goes, starting October 1st, 2015, it's only a few months away. If, if there's an issue with identity theft with, that was involving your restaurant, if this happened at your restaurant and you weren't protecting your customers, you're liable as the restaurant owner. Is that correct? It's, so the way it works is that if you accept a fraudulent card, so if somebody were to walk into your restaurant today prior to this October 1st date and swipe a card that had gotten stolen from somewhere on the Internet, you know, um, and they reproduced a piece of plastic that had card numbers on it, you swipe it, you can do a chargeback for that fraudulent card. Come October 1st, if that card has a chip on it and you accept it as a swipe transaction, not as a chip transaction, and it was fraudulent, you are now liable. There are no chargebacks. You are not allowed to go back because there was a chip on that card and you did not accept it as a chip transaction. Okay. Now, how significant is that? How bad would that hurt our business? So it kind of depends on, um, and when we talk about kind of your next steps, we'll, we'll talk about it. It depends on what business you, what type of business you're running. If you're running a little sandwich shop, um, you know, selling $5 subs, it may not be as big of an issue but you may lose customers on the flip side because they don't think that you're as secure as, as possible. And that, mm -hmm. that number would be hard to quantify. At the same time, if you're a high-end dining establishment and you've got people that are coming in and getting three and $4,000 meals with bottles of wine and they use a fraudulent card, you're out all of those funds. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, the biggest thing here, I mean, yeah, there's a cost that you're the, you're liable, but at the same time, People want to feel safe. They want to know that you're being proactive and doing the, the things you should be doing as the owner, as somebody who they're putting their trust in uh, to, you know, dine at, the, at your establishment. So uh, it's important stuff, and uh, it's only becoming more and more of an issue. So it's we need to take that proactivity to, uh, you know, do the right things to protect ourselves and our guests. It's just – it's hospitality, in my, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I was say, one thing I would add to that, Eric, is you look at the stock, the stock price of Target and how much it's taken a hit because people don't feel like they were they were protecting their card data. Um, it, it's it's huge. I mean, they they calculated in the numbers of billions of dollars that they lost because of that uh, because of that data breach. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for adding that on. And um, so, just to kind of give the folks at home, maybe we're not all experts on uh, the different ways. Uh, people are getting their identity stolen or there's different types of fraud out there. So can you just quickly touch on some of the different ways that exist where people are getting a hold of our data? So um, what we were able to come up with was, um, was five different types of ways that people can, can steal data. Um, one of the most common in restaurants is skimming. Skimming is where you're stealing a card number from your guests through a skimmer that's sitting in your pocket or you're writing down numbers or some way you're taking their cardholder data. The second is um, lost and stolen cards, you know, that, you're, that have mm -hmm. been stolen either electronically or physically. Um, the, the third is site cloning, and site cloning and spoofing is a way that you can 
technically, and I, I'm going to put my nerd hat on here, but um, you, you put um, insert uh, the into the technology this um, this piece of software that that makes it think like the card numbers are going to the bank, but they're really going somewhere else. Um, okay. Another one is a virus that's going and skimming data. That's that's actually the one that hit uh, hit target. And then the, the last one is intercept fraud. And all of those are different ways that uh, hackers get in and, and will take this take these card numbers. And there's a huge black market out there to go find these card numbers. You can buy card numbers for as little as 2 or $3 out on the Internet. So when you say intercept fraud, is there like literally like a, an interception happening like somewhere in like the – this electronical inter uh, this electronical transfer like is it in like the cloud someplace maybe not in the cloud but like how are they tapping in how yeah, are, are no, they so, yeah so in between where where your restaurant is all the way to the bank typically there needs to be a secure line but if they put in something that's sniffing that line it can send the data to both the bank and to the um, to these criminals. To these okay. criminals' accounts, and so they now are getting it as you know, it's like an interception in football. They're they're yeah. they're intercepting where the ball is supposed to go and ca- catching it and doing what they want with it. Okay, and uh, I just wanted to put a little eff- or emphasis on that one because I feel like some of the things we'll be talking about um, are corrections to that uh, way of getting your identity stolen or your data collected, right? Yeah, okay. no, for sure. All right, awesome. So now we have um, a big picture of some of the different ways some of these uh, thieves are getting our data. What can we do, Jeremy, as restaurant owners and managers to be proactive? I mean, what tools are out there to help us fight these people? So um, I would say that there's two main ones um, that, that are going to solve a very, very large percentage of those five common fraud issues that we just talked about. One is is evaluating your EMV stance so that you know that you're taking the correct cards. Today in the United States, um, the the way that they're going about it is chip and signature, whereas in Europe, most places are chip and pin, and I think it's only around the corner when chip and pin will be coming. But today it's chip and signature, and so the chip validates that the numbers that are on that card are from the person that actually issued, was issued the card. So EMV is would be one thing. And then second is evaluating an end-to-end or a tokenized um, uh, solution where at the card swipe, you're encrypting the card data so that even if people get in a virus or they put in um, something on, uh, you know, like Eric and I talked about with the intercept, any of those inline solutions, if it's encrypted at the card swipe for an end-to-end solution, you don't have the ability unless you figure out how to decrypt those things to get that cardholder data. And so between validating that the person is really who they say they are and secondarily um, doing an end-to-end or a tokenized solution, it'll help eliminate 98% of the, the those those types of fraud that we just talked about. Okay. So just to summarize um, what we've talked about so far with this topic on uh, the, the tools that exist, there's EMV, which is the chip, and then you have the tokenization, and that takes place at the register or at the POS system, when you swipe the card, it's that thing you're you're swiping the card through that's reading the card reader. Then it's encrypting exactly. at that point, correct? It is. It is. And so right now, most um, card readers and, and even the EMV readers oftentimes, they send the data through in clear text. And so, um, again, I know 
you said it's it's a very dry topic, but when you when you swipe a card, your card numbers are going through the point of sale in completely clear text. And if you know what you're doing, to capture that data is not very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, any of these other types of types of fraud can happen and they'll take take the card number from you. And so if you encrypt it at the card swipe, so uh, I'll give you a quick definition. End-to-end -end encryption is encrypting at the card swipe, so it never even touches the point of sale software as a full card number. Okay. Tokenization is such that it takes it, passes it through to the point of sale, sends it out to the bank to get an approval, and then the bank, instead of storing the card number, sends you back a reference, a token that's just a randomly generated number that references that card number. And so there is a bit of a misnomer in the industry about what's the difference between tokenization and end-to-end -end encryption. So I thought it was important to indicate that for your, for your listeners. All right, because I'm here to learn. I'm going to make sure I understand this. And uh, I'm going to say it one more time so the folks at home understand too. There's the EMV, which is the chip that's in the card that protects you. And then there's the tokenization. What happens there is you get the swipe. It goes to a location where it gets encrypted and then comes back to the POS system. Now it's safe. And then there's the end-to-end, um, -end, oh, sorry, the, yeah, the end-to-end -end encryption. End-to-end -end or point-to-point. -point. <laughs> or point-to-point, -point, which is where it gets taken care of at that, uh, the swipe, uh, con whatever tool you're using, whatever uh, mechanism you're using to swipe the card. It, exactly. So point-to-point okay. -point or end-to-end -end encryption is the most secure for storing the card data because it never touches the point of sale as a, as a full card. Um, tokenization is, is also secure, but not as secure as end-to-end. -end. EMV is, will solve the challenge of the, um, the fraudulent cards coming in. Okay, and on top of all this, there's something else called authentic. I can't speak today, Jeremy. It's authentic. You say it for me. I can't spit that word out. I don't know what my problem is. <laughs> authentication. Thank you. Um, authentication. And so, so there, there's another, there's another movement going that that you guys will see in the next couple of years related to verified by Visa, and you probably have seen the commercials. It's big in Europe, but it it helps with online transactions off-site transactions, key transactions, and there's the whole verified by Visa, and they've got different technologies that are randomly generated numbers. And so that whole authentication thing will be coming down the pike as well. All right, cool. So that just basically helps you tell the difference between um, if it's a fraudulent card, it will help identify those fraudulent cards, right? Very much so. Okay. Much so. Just to specify, I knew the word was authentication. I just couldn't make my mouth <laughs> make them that work it's one of those days I would say it, is, it is an early it is an early morning so i, I get it well you have an excuse i'm on the east coast so i don't have an excuse it's almost noon here <laughs> all right so um <laughs> all right so let's talk a little bit more about uh the benefits just to recap before we give our listeners those six calls to action that are in the title got you um so uh, I mean, it really, there's there's a couple of different things that, that I would say that you need to be thinking about and, and uh, why you want to be considering this. One is the basic um, threat of, you know, fraudulent cards coming in and getting charged back for those. That alone is something that, that you guys need to be thinking about and need to be considering. Mm -hmm. The second is your brand image. I, I know multiple restaurants that had got hit by credit card fraud, and it cost them Ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, and ultimately, a few of them had to close down their restaurant because they mm. just couldn't make payroll. 
because of it. And so wow. um, brand image. And then lastly, you know what? It's your livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be your vacation. It could be your next house. It could be your next boat that you're trying to buy, but you have to pay for this credit card fraud that uh, you're going to miss out on as a restaurant owner. And so those, mm-hmm. those I would say, um, affect your livelihood. So you need to think about it. Absolutely. And it's a reputation too. I mean, let me put it this way um, from like a kitchen standpoint, if you're a, a chef or if you love, if your roles in the kitchen, you're listening to this, would you serve somebody food that you knew might be close to spoiling and might get somebody sick? Would you uh, send somebody peanuts if you knew they had a peanut allergy? Like if you have a way to prevent something bad from happening, um, I mean, your guests at the end of the day are your livelihood. It's your responsibility to make sure that they can dine and enjoy your uh, the experience you're creating for them safely. Um, and if something does happen, just like if somebody does get food poisoning at your restaurant, people talk. And people are more than likely to talk about the bad things. So, I mean, it's you have to protect yourself. And it's really – it's the hospitable thing to do, like we said earlier. Like, that's what we do. People come to us for warmth, comfort, and enjoyment. And that's our responsibility to make sure that's the only thing that happens when they come to our restaurant. So, um, with that said, uh, what are those calls to action, Jeremy? Unless you, you want to add anything to this before we start sending people to the, the, call, the calls to action? No, I think I think um, I think you know people are typically when they talk to to us about this as a restaurant technology guys or as custom business solutions, they're looking for how does this affect me? You know, it's the whiff them. What's in it for me? They need to understand um, what are their steps that they need to need to take in order to to implement a solution and get there. So, I would say that the the first thing you need to do is evaluate evaluate where your fraud levels are at. Evaluate what you know, what your risk is, what's your risk profile, and does it make sense? Okay. I think the second is you need to – oh, sorry. You, wanna, you want to you wanna ask questions in between or are you good? No, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, just, I'm looking down at my notes right now. We're on video chat right now, so you guys at home are – you see me, like, scramble. No, I'm good. Keep it going. We have six of these, by the way, guys, so make sure you, you write down one through six on whatever piece of paper you have because we got them coming. So yeah, number yeah. two, hit it. So- I, I think the next one is um, what are what are your costs going to be? You know, you need to evaluate the hardware and software. If you're running an external credit card system, your costs might be minimal. That you may already have an EMV reader and it just needs to be enabled. And if you're running an integrated solution to your point of sale, you need to evaluate what are the options that are available from a hardware and software because um, almost everybody is going to have to get a hardware or software upgrade if they haven't gotten a, a new credit card. Um, piece of software and hard, and or hardware in the last uh, 12 months. So if you haven't gotten in the last 12 months, you need to evaluate what options are out there and um, what are the costs going to be. Okay. I would say that number three is you need to look um, – you need to look through your internal organization. If you're in a larger organization, you know, if you're a sole proprietor, this, this point number three is going to probably not mean as much. But if you're in a larger organization, you need, to, you need to put together a business case and get them to internal approvals to spend the money to do these upgrades and to, to make it all happen. And so um, I think putting together the business case, taking all of that information that you just captured and then putting it down on paper and putting that business case out to the owners or and uh, – and or your board of directors or your manager or whoever that may be to get the approval to, to move forward with the solution. And uh, Jeremy, uh, before we move on to number four, if we're somebody who wants to make a business case, can you share some references for us to kind of expedite that process of getting the, the data, getting the information to make our points? Is there any, are there any references out there that you can share with us? 
Yeah, we've stayed clear of talking about specific vendors, but both Ingenico and Verifone, which are the two largest um, uh, pin pad providers in the United States, um, Ingenico, and, and you can put in the show notes. I'll, I'll send you their, their uh, website so you can put them in the show notes. Okay. But uh, Ingenico and Verifone are probably the, are the two biggest um, out there. MagTech is another one. They all have tools to um, Excel spreadsheets that you can put in your transaction volume, what your fraud numbers are, and it'll, it'll run it down for them so they can, uh, you know, depending upon which vendor they, they choose, they can use one of those business cases. It's pretty so at those, at those three websites, you, you said it was end, or say that again for me? In, Ingenico, I-N-G-E-N-I-C-O, Verifone, V-E-R-I-F-O-N-E, and MagTech, M-A-G-T-E-K. All right. Like we said, those will be in the show notes. And, um, yeah, check those out because, I mean, like you know, Jeremy, we don't have a lot of time to be putting together all these, you know, this, this business case. So those tools will be there, from what I understand, to help you with that process. Yeah, they're pretty simple. They're pretty okay. simple to, to fill out. And, yeah, I mean, you have to do the investigation to figure out what options are available for your point of sale and, and hardware software because you got to fill those numbers in. But once you do that, that minimal research, it should. Uh, um, it should. And, you know, what? quite honestly, um, I'm also here to help. I mean, you know, hopefully my name will be in the show notes. The restaurant technology guys have done a lot of these, and so we can also, uh, we can also respond on Twitter, email, Facebook, any of those kind of places. Oh, don't uh, worry. You know, I'll give you a little bit of a table. <laughs> a little shameless plug, but it, uh, at the same time, I figured uh, we would throw it out there. If, uh, I'll, if I'll be that, sure uh, to give you some more time at the end of the episode, too, Jeremy, to let everybody know how they can connect. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right. Hit us uh, with number four. Okay. <laughs> um, number four is uh, you need to um, you need to, to, to look at who the, those pin pad vendors are. So um, explore kind of the technology. So the, the last three are going to be all about your technology is what pin pad vendors integrate with your point of sale because – um, unless you're going to go completely off the the, the um, reservation and get credit cards old school dial up like they were 20 years ago, you're going to have to figure out something that integrates on the PinPad side. And we talked about some of the bigger players out there. Okay, and where can we go to find out um, what PinPad vendors will integrate with our POS? Is there a resource you know of? Um, I would. That's that's actually number five is working with your point of sale vendor. And so okay. talk to your existing point of sale vendor and, and ask them where they're at. We have a stance for our point of sale software that we're selling, and and everybody that's out there should have a stance because, like you said, it's only a few months away. And so if they don't have a stance, they need to they need to be working on it. But you know, every one of these industry or organization events that we go to, all of the point of sale companies are out there working on it. Okay, awesome. And uh, last but not least, number six, what is it? I would say last but not least uh, is um, is you need to talk to your processor. Talk to your bank and figure out what are they doing. Because oftentimes, because they're the ones putting out the mandate, they also are on the forefront of what's going on. And so you need to be talking to your credit card processors, the Vantivs, the First Datas, the um, – you know, Bank of America, Merchant Services, Wells Fargo, whoever you're processing credit cards through, you need to talk to your rep and say, tell me what's going on with EMV. And it may be a short-term solution that's not integrated with point of sale and then a longer-term solution that is integrated with point of sale because you could go offline credit cards for a while until your point of sale company gets up to speed and integrates it or, you know, and that would that would um, save your reputation and get you into the right place. So, but that's those are our suggestions for the six reasons and the six ways to get uh, to get yourself connected and and uh, in tune with what's going on. All right. So just to recap, the six calls to action. Um, so as we talked about, the, the the six things that you need to do is evaluate um, 
evaluate your, your business case and just try and understand what your fraud levels are. Talk to your bank, talk to your processor, figure out where your current fraud levels are so that you can figure out what your exposure and your risk are. All right. Um, second, second is do the research on your cost for upgrading the hardware and software. Talk to your, you know, uh, vendors out there that, that you're talking with and figure out what those costs are going to be because that's going to make a difference. The third is get the approvals, any approvals that you need to get from bosses, you know, in a larger organization. Obviously, if you're the boss listening to this, you have to approve with yourself or maybe with your wife at home, but, uh, but uh, get, get the approvals. And like the we said, fourth thing, the links to uh, for the, the, the build your business case as well. Sorry, go ahead. Um, the, the fourth item is uh, is work with the uh, work with the, the different pin pad providers out there and understand you know we talked about who those pin pad providers are and and uh, figure out which ones work with your system and and uh, where they're going to be at. The fifth thing is, is to understand your point of sale options. What options does your point of sale vendor give you so that you can understand how to uh, to move forward with that? And then lastly is talk to your processor, talk to your bank, and, and understand where they're going and and what their suggestions would be. All right, yep. awesome. And I'll have these all all these uh, calls to action in the shows in the show notes and on a recap of everything we talked about today. Um, now I have a few questions for you, Jeremy. Just to uh, these are some questions that I think a lot of people might be asking themselves, and we kind of touched on it a little bit, but let's go a little bit deeper. So if you want to, um, sorry, if you don't want to change your POS system, but you want to integrate. Uh, EDE encryption, like what can you do? I mean, there's a couple different options, and, and again, it depends on the point of sale technology. But uh, for the most part, uh, I mean, you could always go offline. So there is the whole offline option and pull credit cards out of your out of your solution. It's a, a bit more of a cumbersome management um, decision to do, but that's option number one. Option number two is that you um, you push your point of sale vendor through your processor and or through these pin pad providers to get end-to-end encryption. Almost all of the um, EMV readers also support end-to-end encryption. Okay. And it really depends on whether the whether the bank is ready to accept it and then if your point-of-sale software is ready to accept it. So I'm assuming that most all um, hardware options that are coming out to market today are going to be integrated with what's going on. Um, is there anything we need to know about making a purchase? Like if we're thinking about purchasing a new POS system now, is there anything we should avoid or anything you know about for integration? Um, I would say, I mean, you definitely need to make sure that uh, make sure that you've got um, an EMV solution. And I would almost not even consider putting in a point of sale solution today if they didn't at least have the option of yeah. end-to-end encryption. Okay, it may not completely be there with your bank and and who you want to process with, but uh, most. Um, what I would say is tier one and even tier two solution providers have an end-to-end encryption um, option for at least one or two processors that are out there. All right. And what about software changes? Is there anything we need to do? I'm assuming there's probably a, an update we'll have to run if we get the end-to-end encryption. Yes, very much so, because you've got things like chargebacks and, and card lookups and things like that that are going to change. You know, and uh, um, So I know some of the questions that we get often is, after we've implemented this, what does training look like? And so um, those, those options that are out there after you upgrade the software are going to change the way the user interface functions. Okay, and I, had a, I, uh, I tweeted out a, you know, that you're going to be on the show yesterday, and I got some responses. One's from uh, WM Bender, and this is, that's his Twitter handle, at WM Bender. And he uh, wants to know about server placement, uh, cloud, and network security. That probably makes more sense to you than it does to me. <laughs> yeah, and so um, 
you know, obviously with Twitter, like we talked about, it's a, it's a little bit hard to completely decipher exactly what they're talking about, but uh, just with the limited number of characters. But at the same time, what I think he's asking about is where are these going to, where do these devices go in a casual dining environment? Because we don't need to do chip and pin, it's only chip and signature, they can go right next to the point of sale device. They can stay plugged into the point of sale device, and you're going to put them um, right next to the point of sale device and, and plug them in via USB or serial cable or, or some other means to get them connected. In a counter service environment in fast casual or fast food, most of the devices that are sitting out there for guests to be able to pay are going to be sitting right in front of the guests. Okay, awesome. And, um, and so the, the, the second part of that being network security, you know, if you go end to end, it solves that completely. If you're not going end to end and you're just doing um, EMV, you do need to lock down those devices and make sure that they're not being able to be tampered with and put something in between because the numbers are transmitted in clear text unless you get to end-to-end encryption. Okay, and um, we also had Misty Young, her Twitter handle at restaurant underscore lady asks uh, about new fees, uh, penalties, staff training, and uh, is there going to be a phased rollout? Again, you know more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the fees and or penalties are only going to, on the EMV piece, are only going to be there related to fraudulent cards, and I think we covered that kind of mm-hmm. earlier in the, in the call. Now, the, um, the second side of that is on the PCI and or fraudulent card side, you know what, that number could be astronomical, and it depends on your – uh, agreement with your bank. As far as the training, the, it's going to depend again on on what you end up implementing and how that works. But it's going to be a lot of training the guests as much as it is training your staff. Mm-hmm. So um, you're going to have to train your staff. I know for myself, I was in um, at a very very large retailer, um, ironically the largest in the world the other day, and uh, their name starts with W. They uh, and I had a chipped card and I tried to use the regular card swipe at the customer self-service payment device. And the point of sale software prompted me and said, no, you need to, um, you need to insert the chip. And so the cards that have the chip say they have the chip on them. So the software, the point of sale software can say, this is a chipped card and push it back. So um, that would be something that you need to consider as you're, as you're moving forward with this is that the chipped cards do get used as a chipped card, and with that, the software can do that. So the training could the training cycle could be shortened because of that, because the software will tell you, this is a chip transaction, you need to make sure that uh, you, swipe, you, know, you use it as a chip transaction. So, and then lastly, there's been a lot of speculation about the phased rollout and, and whether this October 1st date is gonna hit, <clears throat> because they talk about the fact that a very small percentage of people will be ready to accept this. The largest of the large will be there, Walmart, Target, um, you know, these very, very large retailers. But I know that a lot of the smaller guys are not going to be ready for October 1st. And so there's been a lot of speculation, but it's really speculation at this point as to whether the date from October 1st is going to move or not. Okay. So I, you know, myself being, a, uh, you know, someone that's a bit more pragmatic, if I ran a restaurant, I would make sure that, uh, that, you are ready to go for October 1st so that they, because it's eventually going to hit whether it hits October 1st or it hits October 1st of 2016, it's going to hit. So you need to make sure that you spend the money. 
Awesome. I love it. Um, and I have one question too. I know there's going to be a lot of variables that come in depending on the size of your restaurant, what, what services you're using, but let's say for the, the average restaurant, like your independent restaurant, that might have, I don't know, two or three terminals at the most. What would the cost be to protect yourself if you were to make the investment tomorrow? And I know you can't give me an exact number, but can you give me like a, a ballpark number? Yeah, the number I've been throwing out um, throwing out to customers is for the hardware, you need to consider spending between $500 and $1,000 for each device. And so mm-hmm. some restaurants, depending upon how payment happens, if they're a cashier banking um, environment where you go, everything everybody pays at the end, they only need one payment device. And so mm-hmm. that number is drastically less, even if they have three POS terminals. Mm-hmm. For everywhere you want to accept payment, the hardware is going to cost you between $500 and $1,000, and so you can calculate that in. The software is going to be very, very variable, but I would say it's probably $1,000 to $1,500 for the software upgrade for our solution, depending upon what version you're on. If you're on a really old version and you need to upgrade hardware, then it becomes a much more expensive. If it's just the software upgrade and get somebody out to go do it and, and spend the time, you know, it's probably $500 to $1,000. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for that. And, uh, those are all the questions I have. Um, I mean, unless there's anything you want to add, anything you think we missed, anything that's worth saying, uh, now's your time before I give you the opportunity to let the folks at home know how we can connect. Um, no, I think, uh, I mean, you know, I think it's, uh, it's one of those things that, that everybody needs to be conscious of it. I just heard a statistic, uh, yesterday from a very, very <laughs> large, um, uh, retailer, uh, <laughs> Oh, do you want fine. to start your thought over? <laughs> no, I mean, I was fine. Um, I just I heard from a really large retailer that they they spend over sixty five percent of their IT spend is on compliance now, whereas ten years ago it was just ten percent. And so compliance is a factor, and so you need to be considering it. You need to educate yourself. You need to get connected with your local restaurant association because they'll know what's going on, you know, whether that's the Texas Restaurant Association, California Restaurant Association, New York Restaurant Association. Mm-hmm. Talk with those people. Stay in tune because it's your livelihood that's at stake, and so you need to consider thinking about those things. Or don't be afraid to talk to Jeremy. And how can we connect with you, Jeremy? Tell us more about what you guys got going on over at uh, the Restaurant Technology Guys. Yeah, so um, it's a pretty unique URL, the restauranttechnologyguys.com. I know it's a bit long, and they uh, and you know they, they seem to be getting longer as domain names get uh, get out there. But <laughs> you can you can connect with all of us on there. You can watch our webinars that we produce about uh, tw- uh, twice a month. Um, so those are there. My Twitter handle's there. My email, guys on Twitter, should be in the show notes as well. Um, my personal Twitter's out there. So connect to us. We love talking with you guys. This is really, really what we love doing. Um, I, I would do this, you know, don't tell my boss, don't tell my, my, you know, don't tell the office, but I would do this for free probably, if, uh, <laughs> even if they didn't pay me because I really, really love doing it. Well, I can tell. I love talking about technology. love talking about uh, restaurants. So Yeah, man, I, I can totally tell, and I'm so pumped that we have connected. And All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up, and I wrap up every episode by asking my guests, who is one indie restaurant professional you admire and think would make a great guest on the show? Yeah, uh, who do you think, Brian? So um, there's a guy... There's a guy in Orange County, Jason Quinn. He uh, runs an independent restaurant called Playground. And basically, they, he, um, he recreates his menu every week. 
and um, he has a section on his menu where he allows his chefs to uh, produce their own plate, and it's called the, um, I think it's called like the lunchbox or something like that, or um, basically what it does is there's five different menu items, and they get graded on that, and so uh, each week, one of his chefs wins by vote, which is really, really cool. It's a really interactive way for his um, for him to grow his menu, and it's a really cool way to let his chefs uh, kind of flex their um, creative muscles and get it actually on on the menu. And also, you can't make any changes because he's like, if you don't like if you don't like your steak medium rare, you can order something else. Um, so <laughs> well, I just think everyone say hello to Ryan chill. Williams, by the way, if you haven't been able to figure out, he's been uh, listening in today. Uh, so say hi to Ryan Williams, the, the third leg to the restaurant technology guys over there. Uh, thanks for chiming in. Um, I'm going to be knocking on your door again, and you are always welcome back here uh, on the show to be our technology guys. And maybe we can get Gary on the show too. Uh, and Ryan as well. Uh, you're, there's no question you folks are unstoppable and i'm so incredibly grateful so thank you so much all right thanks eric kaplow another authority thursday in the bags here at restaurant unstoppable i hope you guys enjoyed it i know it's not the most exciting content uh but it's something that we need to do as professionals uh to have that self-control to have that discipline to do right by our guests uh, so i hope you guys found the advice from the restaurant technology guys helpful uh i'm so thrilled to have them uh join our melting pot of mentors you can believe as as long as they're cool with it that they will be back on the show uh talking about some other uh topic here regarding technology and just so you guys know everything we discussed today can be found in the show notes at www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash credit card security and do not hesitate to reach out to these guys i'm telling you they are more than willing to answer your questions very very generous with their time and uh very abundant with their knowledge and uh jeremy did want me to tell you if you guys have any questions or if you have any ideas on a technology-based topic that they can help you with, uh, let me know, and I'll get them on the show again, and we'll tackle those questions you have, guys. We are here to serve you. You don't have the time to do this kind of work. You need to focus on running your restaurant, and that's why we exist, to do the work for you. And I'm always looking to learn, so I would love to host another topic. So just give us your suggestions. We're here for you, uh, like always, and... I guess that's all I have for you. Don't forget to check out the show notes. Uh, I also will be adding a webinar that the gentleman hosted not too long ago. I'll upload that to the show notes so you guys can dig a little bit deeper if you want to. And, uh, yeah, that's it. All right. Until next time, peace out.